Very good. All right, so we have been doing some of the prophecies for Christ's death. All right? We've been talking about a few of them, uh, and I believe it was last week you talked about Isaiah with a broken reed. Do you remember talking about a broken reed? A bruised reed, actually. It, it pleased the Father to bruise. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. To bruise him. But we didn't talk about... Not a reed. Okay. So, and so it... Pleased God to bruise him. Now, this is written long before Jesus ever came to earth. And so it's a strange thing to say, I'm going to pick somebody out to send you to save, and he's going to get hurt, and that's going to make God happy. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? But why does it make God happy? That's the question. It's going to save us going to save his family okay and so in order to do that the pain is a short-term pain although excruciating it is not into eternity although he still even in his glorified body holds the prince in his hands and in his side and in his feet okay he held the scars and we know that because after he was risen from the dead, he said, put your, hand, put your fingers into my scars, okay? Uh, and put your hand into my side and believe in what happened. So we know that he carries them into that. And we sing songs about uh, taking Jesus by the nail-scarred hands, right? If you're in choir, you have listened to that um, or sang that. And those else who have been in church have listened to that. So, we're talking about the prophecies of Christ. Now, this one is a little bit different. This is Jesus prophesying about himself. Okay? So, it's one that's unique. One that um, people don't often talk about. But, I want to talk first of all about last year. I, along with friends and family that I was with, went and saw a magic show. <laughs> Phoebe happened to be there too, uh, and Italia. So this guy was pretty good. He had a staff—I don't know, five or six people, a staff of people, not a staff of. Although he probably had a staff also, uh, but they were all very talented. He did card tricks. He did crazy safe things he did escape type stuff he did where the traditional where they put a woman in this box and shove things into cut her in half and do all this crazy stuff he put her in a box one of his assistants and somehow amazingly in the time that it couldn't even be enough time she shows up somewhere else on another side of the room or something like it's like man that's really amazing to watch a magician do what they're going to do. Now, here's the real question. Did you all know that the magic isn't real? Right. <laughs> right. And, and we all did when we went there. 
But some people approach a magic show very differently. Some people go in and say, I'm going to enjoy this. This is very entertaining. And other people look and scrutinize and say, I know he's cheating. I know he's doing this. I know, well, of course he is. That's what the whole point is. But he's very good at sleight of hand. He's very good at building props. So they look just so. He's very good uh, at setting up tricks and doing things possibly that suggest to you that that uh, he is good. He's And, and the... People on his team were very talented, squishing themselves up in crazy positions and things to make it look like he's chopping her in half, okay? He's not. He's not chopping her in half, okay? That's not what's happening. But there are some people that go in with the attitude saying, he is cheating, and I'm going to figure out just exactly what they're doing. I am going to call him out on it, and they're going to try and discredit the magician. Some people go in there with that attitude. I knew. Well, of course you do. Of course he's not. He's not making people disappear. That doesn't happen. But he's very good at what he's doing. A good magician is entertaining. Okay? He's very good. But it is those people that are constantly trying to discredit. They're looking for every little thing. I saw the mirrors, and I saw this, and I saw that. And if you approach it that way, you aren't going to enjoy it at all. You are not going to get the point. The point is not that you couldn't possibly imagine how they did it. The point is that you just enjoy it. You look at it and say, that's really cool. All right. Now, today, in that prophecy that we're talking about, Jesus has a group of people that have come to him that are like those people that go to a magic show and say, I know, I'm going to get you, I can see, I'm going to find out what you did, trying to discredit Jesus and who he is. All right. He's in that very same place. And so, they do something to try and catch him and try to trap him or try to figure out. But he's not going to have it. Okay? He's not going to have it. So let's go to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to have two different texts uh, today with this very same story. There are two different texts. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 12 first. Nope, verse number 38 we're going to start with. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 38. And we are going to see this group in the very beginning, what they want as who they are and then what they want. Verse number 38 and 39. Matthew chapter 12, please. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous, adulterous yeah. generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be, there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. All right. So who is it? Who is it that's trying to get him? The scribes and the, scribes and the Pharisees. Or in other words, they are the religious leaders, yeah, the, 
Yep. The teachers of the law. Okay. And that's what they do. Teachers of the law. They try to show everybody all the things that they do wrong. Okay. And Jesus comes in and says, I fulfill this law. I'm the fulfillment of the law. And they don't like it. They don't like it because he has been able to do miracles and they can't. And he has been able to heal people and help people and they don't. And he has loved people and they don't want that. Because they have built out of God's plan for religion a money scheme and a power scheme in which they are topped off. And Jesus comes in and says, I don't care about any of that. That's not what this was ever intended for. And blows it all up. And hate it for it. So he's saying, well, they, 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 they come after him and they say, we want to see a sign from you that you're really who you say you are. You claim to be the Messiah. You claim to be this one set by God. And we want to see a sign from you. Now, why do they want to see a sign? For proof. For proof? Maybe. They've already seen miracles, though. Right? Why weren't they good enough? They weren't, yeah, they couldn't find fault in it, and they couldn't capture Christ because their goal is not really to have faith in God. They've got a different purpose. Just like that person that comes in in the magic show and says, I'm going to expose everything they're doing. Did you see the mirror behind there? Did you see this behind there? Did you see that? Did you see how the box was? I'm sure it was this. If you come in with that attitude, which like the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, come in with that attitude, Christ has, he's not interested. And he says, you're not going to get a sign. Evil people look for that sign to try and prove me wrong, to try and do this. He's been in, there were, there were towns where he healed every single sick person in the whole town. Every single one. Whole towns. He had many, many documented miracles. He had people that were born blind that he sent back after he made them, after he healed them, sent back to the temple. People that were born uh, with or had been sick where they couldn't walk for 35, 40 years. And he sent those people back to the temple walking and seeing. Not enough for them. Not enough. Because they were never interested in believing. They were only interested in discrediting Christ. All right? And so he says, but I will give you one sign. The sign of who? It's in there. Got to read it. The last verse we read. Jonas. Jonas. Good old Jonas. Who has any idea who Jonas is? Jonah. Well, it is Jonah. Now, how does it become Jonas? When it co in the Old Testament is Jonah, 
In the New Testament, it becomes Jonas. How is that? Language. Because in the Old Testament, Jonah's name is in Hebrew. In the New Testament, it is in not Hebrew. Not Hebrew. Greek. Okay. So remember, the world has been changing, and although they use Jonah, right? <laughs> because it is the same person, but when they translated directly the names, they just translated them as they came through. Okay. So they are what they are. In the whale's belly, there you go. So you'll know that he's really talking about uh, Jonah shortly because Jesus makes it pretty clear. But the sign of Jonah is what you're going to get, he says. You'll get the sign of Jonah. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus already knows what they're about, right? And he says, you watch carefully, the sign of Jonah is going to come. So, what's the story of Jonah? He got swallowed by a whale because he wept away the God to Swallowed by a big fish, right? Great big fish. And because he, well, he wouldn't, okay, he wouldn't obey God. So he gets swallowed by a big fish, all right? So the big fish, how do we know he gets swallowed by a big fish? Bible says, okay. But, but, okay, yes, he, he lived, and we see that, but were there witnesses? Oh, yeah, on the ship. On the ship. They, they threw him off. They threw him overboard, right? And then, oh, did you just see what happened? We threw him overboard, and he got eaten. And do those people know that he lives? Maybe not. They're off sailing away to the place where they're going. God's got a different plan for Jonah, right? He landed the place that God wanted to go. Pretty close. Isn't that amazing? They were going the opposite direction. They were going the opposite direction. So maybe later they found out about Jonah. Okay, But they witnessed and watched and said, we threw him overboard. He went in the mouth of that fish. They no way you're going to survive. All right? So the unique thing is that later he lived. They watched him get totally swallowed by a big fish. Now, it is not that unique in the history of man to be eaten by something in the ocean. There are big sharks and other types of fish. Okay. It may not be a baleen-type whale or something crazy like that because the teeth don't open and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't say a whale. We have traditionally said Jonah and the whale. Could It just says it's a big fish. What kind of big fish? I don't really know. It does not say. It doesn't really matter. There are big fish, sharks, and all sorts of things. Have you ever seen uh, somebody get, like, movies or real, actually real-life things where people get bit or killed by sharks? Right? Right? Soul surfer. Soul surfer, right. And she lost a whole chunk of her body, her arm, up through because a shark just came up and took a little nibble. People don't usually, unless if they swim away right there and get saved immediately, survive that. And that's the unique thing 
when they watched, and there are people, many people who did not survive shark attacks, okay, people that get eaten, and they're done. There's no recovering them, maybe the remains, but there's no recovering that person. And they sure don't walk out alive if they've been swallowed whole by a fish. But that's the unique thing about God. He has this fish get a little tickle in his throat or whatever, and he goes and pukes him up on land. It's probably not a pleasant experience to be vomited out by a fish big enough to swallow you, okay? Probably not a pleasant thing. And understand that what it is that breaks down food inside of a fish's gullet, all right, is acidic. That's why it breaks it down. So if you're in there for about three days, you're pretty tender, okay? You've been digested slowly for three days, okay? Your skin's probably hurting. But out he comes, out onto land, and after people watched him get swallowed, all of a sudden there he is, and he looks totally different than when he went in. Okay? And he goes to Nineveh, and he does what he's supposed to do, but he's not very happy about it. All right? So what's the part of the sign of Jonah? Let's read the next verse, uh, verse number 40. For if Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. All right. So, what? Because Jesus was in the tomb. Oh, look at that. <laughs> okay. So here we are with the sign of Jonah. Now, we're not looking at the fact that Jonah, the sign of Jonah, doesn't have anything to do with Jonah disobeying God or running away because it's not what Jesus is doing. It doesn't have the fact that um, he is sailing on a ship. It has nothing to do with the ocean. It has nothing to do with the fish itself. But it has to do with the fact that Jonah is taken inside, seen go there, Figured for dead, and then gives him back up. Did he die? I don't know. Maybe. doesn't really say in the Bible. It says he was alive at some points in there because he prayed, but that prayer isn't three days long. Okay? So did God bring him back to life? I don't know. Maybe. The whole point is that it's that three-day period. That is the sign. And in three days, Jesus is standing again back on earth. Alive. Now they were very sure he was dead when they put him in the tomb. In fact, there were professional murderers, professional hitmen that are soldiers who crucified people regularly that made sure he was dead. And not only did they make sure, they actually said, because they asked for the bodies to be taken down before the Passover began, all right? For the Sabbath, that was the point. They wanted the bodies off the crosses. And so they went up with great big clubs, 
as they normally did to go and break their legs as they were alive. Okay, so the thieves may have had their legs broken. But they said it was amazing that he was already dead when they got there to break his legs. But just in case, they took a great big spear, a great big sword, and went underneath his rib cage, up and through into his heart. And out came blood and water. Okay? Which is a sign of the fact that after you have heart failure, your blood, your, your heart stops pumping and there's like a, there's a watery liquid. It's, it's, it's water, but it has other pieces in it, basically, um, in it that surrounds your heart. Okay, people that have congestive heart failure have that slowly happening around their heart. There's, there's a fluid buildup around their heart. Okay, it's not blood, um, but it appears to be water when it comes out. And so when they jam it up into him, out of that cavity comes blood and this water. He's dead. There's a reason he died, because his heart literally was dead in there once it, once it was done. You know, it was already done. He had died of heart failure, okay, at that point. Because of many, many things that had happened in the past 24 hours in his life, when he was taken was when this sign began, basically, all right? He's taken out of the garden, and they begin to do terrible, evil things to him. And he is tossed in that, le that late night, just before... The sun sets, so it's on that first day, he's tossed in, he's in another day, and he's finally in that third day when he raises from the dead. Okay, so he captures portions of those days, each of those days, to make the prophecy true. I'm going to be three days in that, like just like Jonah was, and then all of a sudden, People thought he was a goner, and there he is, standing out on the shore going to preach. All right? Jesus says, when you see that, you'll know that I was real. All right? Did that change the heart of those Pharisees? Because when they put him in the tomb, they were still trying to cover it up. And when the soldiers had the angel come after Jesus had, had risen from the dead, they paid them money to cover up the fact that the body was gone. And they said, we're going we're gonna to make sure you're protected. We'll pay you money. Just tell them you were sleeping, which was a capital offense. Meaning, if you fall asleep while you're on guard duty as a soldier... To kill you. You're done. So it's a pretty big thing. Uh, motivator, not fall asleep, right? <laughs> like, right? Don't fall asleep or they'll kill you because it's considered deserting your post. So they didn't fall asleep. But Jesus rose from the dead. Right? And so the sign of Jonah 
after three days, they're crazy about, they got to get, we got to cover this up. We cannot let this get out to the people. But Jesus, they can't hold him. They can't control him. He's here. He's there. He goes anywhere he wants. He's in his glorified body. Walls don't hold him. He goes anywhere he wants to. All right? The only reason the walls ever did hold him was because he chose to be limited on his own. Because he wanted to come and die. So the only reason death actually could overtake him is because he chose to allow it. He's God. All right? So, the sign of Jonah is the first thing. But there's a little more to the story. Now remember Jonah. Which city did he go to? The city of Nineveh. And what does he think about the city of Nineveh? It's terrible. He hates the people. They've done terrible things to his nation. They're cruel and evil people. So Jonah goes through with not much heart and says, repent, repent, okay? And watches, walks out to the other side of the city for about three days, I think it said. It was three days it took him to cross the city. So it's a big city as he's walking across. And he goes up on the hillside and says, Ah, now for the good show. Let's watch them burn, baby. They're not going to repent. And yet, they do repent. And that's where Jesus picks up this story. All right? Jesus has a couple of parts. Verse number 41, as Jesus says, okay, that's the sign of Jonah. Three days, I'll be in uh, the heart of the earth for three days. And verse 41, wherever we left off. Nineveh condemn it. So the people in Nineveh, as cruel and evil and mean as they were, are going to rise up in judgment against those people standing there that day. Why? Because the people in Nineveh, cruel and evil and mean, repented. And it was just Jonah. And how good did he do? Hey, repent, repent, let me watch you burn. Repent. Not real excited about it, okay? He didn't even care about these people. He didn't care at all about these people. And here is the Son of God standing in front of all of these people right there who is giving his life so that they can be forgiven. And people who will not go to him or believe him, he says, will answer much more than those people of Nineveh. Those people will be able to judge people who do not accept Christ. He says, because I'm so much more than Jonah was. I'm more than that because I loved the people that did things to me. I loved them and I died for them. And if you miss that boat about Christ, then you're missing the whole point. Oftentimes we come to Christ with that, 
well, you know, if it was just this way, the way I wanted it, or I'm going to discredit what he does because I saw this, or I believe that, or that's not quite the way that I think it should be. And when we go to God to discredit it, guess what we're going to do? We've already made up our mind. And Jesus says, make up your mind off of what you see and what you know to be real. He says, those people in Nineveh, they repented. And if you don't believe me, as I stand here in front of you, and you want to see another miracle, you want to see God do something better, what better thing can he do than give his own son to die for you? What else do you want to see? That's it. That's the sign of Jonah. He gave his son to die. He died. And he rose again to give you freedom. That's what he did. What more do you want out of it? He says, but if that's not enough, he goes to a story back in the Old Testament. Verse number 42, please. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. All right. So first of all, we have the people of Nineveh. Okay, they're going to be... They're going to rise in judgment over these people and say, these guys are better off, okay, as cruel and mean and evil and destructive as they were. And then we've got this queen of the south, it calls them, but this is the queen of Sheba, okay, the queen of Sheba. And there's a story in the Old Testament about the queen of Sheba. She hears about, about Solomon and how much wisdom he has. And how she seems to know about godly things. She's not invited. No one reaches out and says, I'm going to come and take you. But she, she says, I know and I've heard about this wisdom. I have to go see it for myself. And so she takes a big entourage and a whole bunch of gifts and brings them to Solomon just to hear the wisdom of God from him. And when she goes there, she gives him all these gifts and all these things and listens to him for days. And she says, I haven't even heard about the half of the wisdom that you have. She crossed and took a big journey and paid a big price to get there. And nobody invited her. And there are people standing right in front of Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, who won't accept them, who won't take the wisdom of God. She being someone who didn't even believe in God, will stand in judgment over people who know about Christ, who know about God, and say, eh, I don't want it. When you seek the wisdom of God, you find out that the core of God's wisdom is the love of God. That's the core of His wisdom, is love. Love is over all things, Right? And now abide faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so, who Jesus is, if you're not interested in finding out, watch out, because in the end, all of these people who didn't have as much as you did, who didn't have as much time and opportunity and wisdom and ability to sit here even and learn about God himself, they will stand in judgment over you and say, we never had half the chances you had. Take them and believe. That's the point. Take them and believe.
take them and believe in what he's doing. Verse number 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit is gone of a man, he walketh through dry places. Seeking rest and 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 findeth none. Then he said, I will return into my house with whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and tarnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state that, that of that man is worse than the first. Even so, it shall be also unto this wicked generation. All right. So this is kind of a weird little story. It couples with another story that we'll read in just a moment to finish that. But this is a guy. He's got an unclean spirit. All right. So there's something wrong, right? We'll say sinful about him, okay? And he, he somehow gets rid of this, this unclean spirit, this one spirit. And he goes out and he tries to find things, but he's kind of got this dry journey. So he says, I'm going back to my house. I can't walk in this dry, old, dusty place. I'm going back to my house. And when he goes back to his house, he likes it. It's all very neat and swept and puts, it looks nice. It's a great place to be, right? And he's very satisfied in that house. But then Jesus says, and then seven more spirits, worse than the first, come in and he's way worse off than he ever was. It's kind of a weird thing to say. I want you to think about this as a person who has something wrong in their life, right? They have something wrong in their life, but they have decided that they're going to clean their house, right? Swept it all up, dusted the cobwebs out, looks great. But in reality, something deep is wrong underneath. A person that looks great from the outside, but deep inside, there is no interest in God. They swept their house, they've cleaned it up, it looks nice, and they're very satisfied with what they have. They maybe tried to get rid of it at first, but when they found out the journey was hard and dusty and tough, they said, I'll go back to my house. It's nice and clean and neat, and I like it that way. If you decide to follow God, he will not be satisfied with you just saying, I'll take care of this sin. I'll take care of the problems I have in my heart. You can try to reform yourself, try to fix yourself. It will not work. Until you let God come and dwell in the house and cast things out and get rid of things, you can say, I've got a nice swept up house. Everything looks nice and neat from the outside. And yet the inside is terrible. 
That's what people are like who don't let God come inside of them and really work inside of them. Inside, there's nothing real going on. Outside, it looks perfect. There are lots of people who claim to be friends of God, believers, Christians, who have a nice, neat outside of their life, and yet the inside is filled with garbage. You let God come in and change you, and it doesn't mean that you are perfect, for sure. But if you let Him change you, He doesn't just reform you, He regenerates you, brand new, from inside out. I'm going to turn to Luke. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn to Luke chapter number 11 just to finish up this last bit of the story. Luke chapter 11, and it's on verse number 33. I'm going to read. Also included in this is what Jesus says here. No man, when he putteth a lighted candle, putteth it in the secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when the, when the eye is single, the whole body is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light. And when the, uh, when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. All right? So here it is. Jesus is talking... And both of these stories come up when Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. The first one's about the house that looks so nice in the, on the outside. And the guy comes and he really tries to get rid of his stuff, that unclean spirit. But when he finds out the journey's hard, he goes back and he's sort of just satisfied to stay there and becomes worse in the end. Right? In order to see something spiritually, there's two things you need in order to see anything. You need two things. What do you need? Two things to see in this life. Eyes and light. Eyes and light. You need eyes and light, right? If you have one and not the other, it will not work. If you have complete darkness and the best eyes in the world, you cannot see. If you have all the light in the world, but you are totally blind, you cannot see, right? That's pretty obvious. Both things, we know it. We know it. Those who will not have God, like they've already made up their mind. They go in and they say, I know that this whole thing about Christ is no good. That's like these Pharisees, these religious leaders. They have an opinion and they can't see, no matter how bright the light is. Christ comes in and shines the brightest light, stands right in front of them, and they are blind. They are these people with sin in their house, and the outside looks perfect. Jesus is not interested in them. I'm not going to give you a sign. That's the only sign you'll see. I'll raise again in three days, just like Jonah. You'll know it was me, but you won't believe it anyways, no matter what. Those same people have a problem is they're blind, but they cannot see the light. Right? I'm putting it right out there on a candlestick. He says, I'm, I'm not hiding it. I'm, not, I'm doing everything I can to put it right out there. And you need to be able to see and have eyes to be able to see who I really am. So don't be blind to it. Don't miss this greatest sign. And that's the goal of this lesson is say, 
Do not miss this greatest sign that Jesus rose from the dead. Don't miss this in your life. It will define your life. It will change who you are if you allow yourself to see it. It is bright. It is as bright as it could possibly be. We shine it here all that we can so that you know that Jesus Christ can change your life if you let him, if you have the eyes to see it. If you refuse and say, I'm not interested. You can be like that, the people that try to discredit the magicians. I know everything about them. You can, you can try. But you're being blind to what is true, what is real. Right? So understand this. If you put this greatest sign, the sign of Jonah, in your life, let it change you. Let it work in you. Let Christ come in you and see what he really is. And you will see an amazing, amazing transformation. Not like this house where he tried to fix it himself, but it got worse. But something that's real and true and lasting by the light of Christ. All right, thank you very much.